0: Welcome to another edition of Running the Race with Rob King. So glad that you're with us today as we continue through the book of Revelation. Just a reminder that this podcast is really verse-by-verse teaching uh, as we go through some uh, many different materials, but I use a lot of John MacArthur's New Testament commentaries. And going through also a book called uh, Because the Time is Near— this is a book that explains Revelation. But most of these podcasts, I'm going through uh, commentaries by John MacArthur that I found extremely uh, helpful uh using some other uh you know materials as I go along, but I just want to be very careful to give credit where credit is due. There was a moment where I thought, you know what, I should just name this podcast the John MacArthur Commentaries verse by verse, but uh want to make sure and give credit where credit is due. There is there is no new idea, by the way. Any teacher who's teaching through the scripture is not coming up with new creative ideas. It's kind of like your accountant. You don't want your accountant being really creative. No, this isn't about being creative. This isn't about a new revelation. This is about the history of the church. This is about uh, discovering through the study of language what the Bible actually means, what God intended when he said it he intended something he meant something we can understand what it is john of all of the teachers of scripture uh, the apostle john is concerned i would almost say consumed with knowing the truth he writes his gospel so that we would know who the messiah is we would know jesus and believe in him and understand salvation and then first john is filled with knowing that you are saved how do you know that you're saved he wants you to know And then Revelation is written so that we would know these things that are going to happen. So there's no new, there should be no new teaching really under the sun. Every teacher is using resources, and I want to make sure and give credit where credit is due. These are not original ideas, nor is that the purpose at all. The purpose is to properly interpret Scripture. Okay, enough. You can open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to do verses 9 through 11, Lord willing, today. And let me begin this way. God is other. God is other. This is a a great challenge that we live with as human beings. We think we are the center of the universe, and then we create a God in our own image. But We are not God. God is not you. You are not a little God. Even there are Christians, supposed Christians, uh, who will believe in the fact that, well, since they've accepted Christ, now they are just little gods. We are not God. We are human. God is in heaven, and he does what he wants. This is a great problem for us. It, this is, this is going to make sense as we go into uh, what we're going into in chapter 6 in Revelation. But we just love our so-called free will, don't we? I mean, when you talk to people, they, they just talk about, well, we have a free will, and God's given us a free will. And, okay, if you're so free, then stop sinning. Oh, wait, you can't. You, you, you aren't free to stop sinning sinning you can't keep you can't make yourself holy are you really free but we hate the idea uh, naturally that god would have a free will think about that for just a second in truth we don't understand the depth of our own sinfulness we don't like to be reminded of that by the way that's the most difficult thing in in in, in telling someone the gospel is for them to understand not just that they're a sinner we get that but the depth of their depravity, the depth of our own depravity. We don't understand the height of God's glory, and we don't want to hear about the depth of our depravity. <laughs> and we we definitely don't feel like God should be able to judge us or do anything about the depth of our depravity when it really comes down to it. Uh, we, that, this, is, this is the most difficult doctrine. I, I recently heard a fantastic message by John MacArthur called The Most Hated Doctrine. And the most hated doctrine is the doctrine of the total depravity of man. That is the 100% inability to ever save ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we cannot do any. I mean, obviously a dead man can't do anything to revive themselves. Jesus shed some light on this when he talked about the parable of the vineyard, among many other things. But basically, the vineyard has an owner uh, who is God, and... Uh, in the in the in the story in the parable and those who are overseeing it were evil and eventually the owner judges all of those who are those evil caretakers of that vineyard. So I'm beginning today just by reminding us this is really great news for the believer, right? God is completely outside of us, other than us. We are sinners. God is holy. God alone has the right to To judge. He's right in everything he does. We are in a day of grace now, but eventually there will be a time of judgment. And the judgments of the tribulation, if you recall, they began with those four horsemen. And now the fifth seal is about to be opened, which really marks the middle of the tribulation. So here's what it says Revelation. 6, 9 through 11, says this. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also so l- let's begin just by talking about the vengeance of god psalm 50:21 says you thought that i was just like you i will rep- reprove you and state the case In order before your eyes. As I stated in the beginning, the vengeance of God is extremely unpopular. Listen to Psalm 64 God will shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they will be wounded. So they will make him stumble. Their own tongue is against them. All who see them will shake their head, then all all men will fear, and they will declare the work of God, and will consider what He has done. Psalm 94 says, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth, rise up, judge the earth, render recompense to the proud. Okay, what about in Jeremiah? Jeremiah says, for that day belongs to the Lord, God of hosts a day of vengeance, so as to avenge himself on his foes, and the sword will devour and beat, satiated and drink. Drink its fill of their blood, for there will be a slaughter for the Lord God of hosts in the day of the north by the river Euphrates. Okay, so here... We are hearing throughout all of Scripture that there's going to be a day of vengeance. Now, in the midst of this judgment, he always spares his own children. This judgment and even this tribulation, it's never mentioned for his children, for those who are his saints. So he says, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, for example, right in the midst of of, of the judgment of Malachi. You will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. In other words, I have a day of vengeance for those who don't believe, but not for those who do believe. Isaiah says, take courage and fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. So we're setting this up now, and I'm taking a while to set all of this up, because the scene that we're seeing today shows the vengeance of God, and the tribulation shows the vengeance of God, and we need to remember that this picture in Revelation is not man-centered in terms of man being vengeful. It's not Satan having his way, but it is God exercising His vengeance and His wrath on the earth. This has nothing to do with man's vengeance or people taking revenge on God's behalf. This is about God repaying sinners. Okay, I think sometimes it's tough for us uh, to think about the vengeance of God because we know, uh, like Jesus was on the cross and he was praying for those who were crucifying him, and Stephen was praying for those who were killing him, and Paul, you know, prayed for his brothers and. Even though he was in prison, but the tribulation is now about God taking his own vengeance out on the earth. I would ask you, how do you feel about that? What do you think about that? Uh, it says a lot about where your heart is when we talk about the vengeance of God. Does he have the right to do that? I'm reminded of the preflood where uh the pre-flood world if you will, where noah And those of his generation, you know what? They were given 120 years to repent. But when they didn't, the flood came, destroying everyone on the earth except for eight people. These years of tribulation mark the end of the period of grace. This is the era now, and we've got to understand this. We're reading about the era of God's terrible judgment. It is... There's a line that's been drawn, and he's now going to judge. He's waited all of this time, but he is holy and he's going to judge so uh, in in particular, in this passage, these few verses, we need to remember that there are some people that are involved there are uh, that will go through who are the people that are involved who are the what are the prayers that are involved and then what are some of the comforting promises that they receive uh, That's basically how this is broken up. So in the previous seals, there were different forces involved. They brought that false peace and war and all that. In this passage, the force is actually the prayer, the prayers. the prayers of God's saints. And they're praying, they're praying for God to exact vengeance on rebellious man- mankind. So when Jesus breaks the fifth seal... John sees underneath an altar these martyrs who have been slain during the tribulation. And we read in scripture about the abomination of desolation, right? You remember about this. This is this is basically when the Antichrist is now unrestrained. The abomination of desolation. The restraint is taken off of the Antichrist. This is spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There's this force of God that is restraining the Antichrist, but at that point, the restraint is taken off. The Antichrist will be in full power, set himself up as God in the temple somehow. Basically, the entire world will be deceived, will be worshiping Antichrist, and then those who are being saved, because there's going to also be simultaneously a a, a global uh, revival, if you will— there will be the preaching of, of the gospel, and there will be uh, God calling the elect still to salvation, and the 144,000 um, Israelite evangelists, I want to say Jewish evangelists maybe a better way to say that, uh, but there's going to be Christians then globally that will be martyred, that will be murdered, because the Antichrist takes uh, his throne— And the world worships, is deceived and worships the Antichrist, and there is this massive martyrdom that takes place, murderous uh, uh, stuff that goes on. All of those who are being saved during the tribulation will be under the threat of death. This is where Jesus in his Olivet Discourse says, That at this point, people are going to flee to the hills and, and says, woe to pregnant women and those who flee in bad weather. Because they won't make it, they're going to be slaughtered. There will be a massive slaughter of believers like the world has never seen. And these, in this picture, are the souls of the martyrs that are now under the altar, most likely the altar of incense, because we're talking about prayer here, okay? So these martyred Christians during the tribulation will be praying for God's vengeance. Now, they won't be praying selfish prayers of revenge, okay? These are holy prayers, righteous prayers, that a holy and just God would be enthroned and that righteousness would prevail. What are they praying? They're praying, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Remember, Jesus says that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. He says, let me just, let me just read a portion of this. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out that are in the house. Whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak, but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days, but pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So these martyrs have been slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they've maintained. In other words, they remain loyal to the gospel, loyal to Jesus, and they will be then martyred for that, which all of those who are truly saved are promised to persevere, that's One uh, thing that Jesus does, he not only saves you, but he keeps you, and those who persevere prove that they really are Christians, but they're martyred during this time, and then it says they cry out with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging your blood on those who dwell on the earth? So this reminds us of the Psalms, right? They're called imprecatory psalms. They're, they're psalms that are praying for God to judge the world. As you read the psalms, you, you hear this phrase a lot. How long, O Lord? That's a beautiful phrase. I think every person has felt that at one time in their life, right? You go through a difficult time. And David David writes this, how long, O oh Lord, and you seem so far away. When things get rough, you it, it feels like you're not near because things are hard. How long, O oh Lord, will you not answer me? <laughs> and of, of course, we know that God is near, and we know that he will never leave us or forsake us, but it feels at times that uh, that, he, that he won't be there, so, or that he's not there, even though we know that that's not true. He is there. So they pray, how long, O Lord? This fifth seal, some would say, is martyrdom, but it's not, because God isn't judging the saints during the tribulation. He's judging the world during the tribulation. The fifth seal is all about the prayers of those who've been murdered. And martyred, and these prayers are not about it's not selfish prayers that they're crying out to God for their own spiteful revenge, but they're prayers towards God about bringing about his righteous throne. How long, O oh Lord, set your throne up, right, and his righteous judgment they they cry it out with a loud voice, they call him master, ruler, one with a authority, one who's in total command, if you will. This is is said with strong emotions. They would cry out, of course, with strong emotions. And we need to be reminded that when God's judgment comes, it would be inappropriate to pray for grace. Do Do you hear what I'm saying here? It would be inappropriate to pray for forgiveness because this is a time of God's judgment. So the appropriate prayers during the times of God's judgment, is a holy retribution from Almighty God. Be enthroned, O Lord. Have your way, O Lord. Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, when Jesus, uh, let's see, not the Lord Jesus, but when God in the Old Testament tells the people to take the land, it's not time to sit back and pray about, to pray about whether they should or shouldn't, or to, to pray for those who are in the land. Just obey. God, give us victory in the land. When the Lord when the Lord God says, S- uh, sit back and wait, it's not f- time for us to pray another way. It's time for us to sit back and wait. When, when God says, don't go, don't go. <laughs> and when he says, go, it's, it's time to go. I'm, I'm saying this because what's most important is not what we want. Um, when we want it, when we pray. See, when we pray, we're actually lining up with what God wants and what God is doing. We pray, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. These saints, these martyred saints, are praying for God's will. Set yourself up. Establish your throne. Take your revenge. Do your will. So at this time, when they're martyred, they're praying for his will, a holy retribution that he is actually performing. By the way, as they're praying this to Jesus, they're noting that he is holy and true and that he's the Lord, and they're obviously recognizing his deity, as has been noted throughout all of this scene so far. Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. Jesus Christ is God. So they're praying. Then they're given this sweet Comforting promise from the Lord, and then symbolically they were given a white robe. It's symbolic of their eternal righteousness that we'll all have when we're in heaven. This is what we're going to be given when Christ returns. His saints uh, when he raptures the church we we spend a, a eternity with him in heaven, even he's given us righteousness. then he gives them this wonderfully kind word that they should rest for a little while longer. MacArthur notes that this is not a rebuke for their impatience, it's just an invitation to peace. Just a little while longer while my will is unfolded, my, my timing and my will is not, just rest a little while longer. It's going to be about, you know, three and a half more years. This is the midpoint of the tribulation. And, and, he, and he's saying, wait a little bit longer. Wait until the number of your fellow servants and your brothers who are going to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. It, so, in other words, God has an election. He has predestined how many martyrs there would be. The numbers aren't complete yet. The word of God says, I suppose this is another doctrine that would be a great struggle for us. God is so other that he chooses, he chooses. It's his choice. Even as we're looking at those who are being martyred and murdered during the tribulation, God already has a number and knows and has chosen and has selected who will be martyred. So their numbers have not been met yet. But when the numbers are met, the time will be complete and Jesus will return. This is where we kind of began, right? These things that are happening are all set in motion by a sovereign and holy God. God is in heaven and he does what he wants. His will is going to be done and his kingdom is going to come. And if we cry out to Him, we will be saved. We will be a part of His kingdom. And as we pray, we can also realize that our prayers are powerful because although God is sovereign, He uses the means of our prayers to bring about His will. Isn't that something? This is something that all of us should want to be a part of. We're reminded that even though there are those who would tell us that the world is getting better and better and more and more civilized. I think there are so many who don't recognize that the world is getting darker and sin is ever increasing. I know the political correctness around us tries to rewrite history and right all of the wrongs of the past and make us... Make us feel like we'd never repeat any historical atrocities that we've seen in the past 100 years. I mean, but trust me, you can take down all the statues you want. You can can change all the names of all the teams that you want. But the truth is, during the tribulation, there will be an increase of atrocities like the world has never known. Men's hearts are still dark. Humanity will prove once again how depraved we really are. But God will remain holy and he will exact his vengeance and will eventually return for the establishment of his holy kingdom. Now what Jesus teaches us is that we need to be ready. We need to live lives that are holy, blameless by His power, by His righteousness, lives of prayer, lives of dedication to Him, lives engaged in the church that Jesus Christ established for our good. We need to be ready with an answer for those who ask us why we have such a great hope. We need to be ready and watchful in our lives because this reality that we're studying in Revelation is going to come to pass according to God's Word and His will. He is in heaven. He does what He wants. He will have His will. So, Father, we ask You today that You would, by Your grace, keep us holy. I pray that those who are listening to the podcast who don't yet know You, would cry out to you, Father, asking for forgiveness of their sins, if it would be your will that they would be saved, save those that you are drawing to yourself by your Spirit. God, keep us holy, filled with hope, as we watch and wait for that glorious day of your return, uh, the rapture of your church. We pray, Father, as John prayed, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.